us through your holy word. We bless you right now, Father, that you might open up to us wisdom, revelation, and knowledge in you. The eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, to know and walk in the hope of our calling. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us free access to your throne where we might find mercy and grace to help in our time of need and power, clarity, anointing, all the things, all the equipment that we need to carry out your work in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Today, I thought we'd talk about the false bride and talk about religious strongholds in particular uh, if you are wanting to know if there's a prayer reference in the manual it's on page 55 and it talks about religious strongholds and i was looking at number two item number two where it says expose the false bride and cast her aside and to bind the traditions of men and i think that we need to focus in on that because that is where the snare and the catch is for the church for the true church for believers those who want to do the will of God and those who are engaged in doing the will of God the snare lies in the the um, traps of the enemy to create a false bride and a false church and a false uh, work down here on earth Uh, and there is a lot of it to be honest with you Uh, false work is anything that uh, uh, has a form of godliness, but it denies the power. That's really the bottom line. Uh, The true church, her words are confirmed with signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. So the true church has that confirming aspect uh, to her words. We are taught and told to go forth and preach the gospel to every nation, to every person, to every creature, and the Bible also said that the disciples went forth and did this, and the Lord worked with them. God works with the true church. He will work with you, confirming his word with signs following. And so when you have that word confirmed with signs following, that is evidence of the true church. Now, when we talk about preaching the gospel, we mean preaching everything that Jesus preached. You can't just preach salvation and say, I get people saved, and that makes my word confirmed. You have to to preach the full, what we call the full gospel, which is the evidence of Jesus Christ alive and living to alleviate human suffering and bring men to repentance. Repentance is part of it, but the other part is that he came to bind up the brokenhearted, amen, to set at liberty those who were bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the acceptable time. You can, you can talk to anybody about Jesus, and God will let you lead them to salvation. So it's free. It's free that we can go out and do these things. There's no limits on it. There's no season for salvation, season where salvation's not in season. This is the acceptable year or acceptable time for salvation. has been since uh, Jesus died at Calvary. And so we <clears throat> must know that God has a plan for us. And his plan does include that we would preach everything that Jesus preached and that he would confirm that word with signs following. Now, anything that 
abbreviates that, shortens it, uh, tries to negate its power and takes away from the power of God, is false. You've got to understand that. Uh, because it does not line up with God's word. For instance, people may say things like, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be healed if it's God's will. Well, if you read the Bible and you know that God's express will is in his word, then you know that there's no conditions of God's will on anything you can know the will of God through uh, reading his word and meditating on his word, so forth and so on. So that would be a false doctrine. Got me? And so there are many false doctrines that the church labors under. We call them traditions of men because the Bible says they make the word of God of none effect. And so the traditions of men will nullify the word of God. Why? Because they stand in the way of you getting faith in in whatever that word says. For instance, if I tell you, well, our denomination, we, we, um, uh, we lay hands on the sick. Well, that's fine, but do they recover? Amen. See, if God never confirms that word with a sign following you, just keep laying hands on people and they keep being sick and then they die and it never gets there, then something's wrong. See, something's wrong. So we've got a form of godliness, but they keep blocking the power from getting in there because of whatever it could be a false doctrine it could be something that people are believing that doesn't let that word really enter in and settle in them and they get good understanding of it see think about it now some of you have been here since we started that's over 20 years and you've been reading that same divine health prayer over and over and over for years for some people that information is just never preached to them if you you can't get receive more than what's preached to you this is how people are kept in or kept out of the things of god is by what's spoken and what's told them and what's preached to them the other thing is that if it's never encouraged and supported in the atmosphere where you are if you are constantly being told things that tend to kind of undermine your faith in these things for instance if you say well uh, i'm i'm expecting god to heal me and i'm praying for him to heal me and you tell it to the oh yeah i remember people that used to do that and they never got healed or brother so-and-so did that too and he was a wonderful christian and he died anyway and so they will take that as a <clears throat> see the traditions of men it's been our tradition to see people just die when they get sick and that has nothing to do with the fact that god will heal you and has healed his body period and see the fact that that they will say that it won't happen if somebody were to challenge that with the word and they fail to overcome that tradition then they are being led by the traditions of men and not and see the word of god is made of none effect they just erased it rubbed it out nullified it with their little so brother so and so the wonderful christian thought god was going to heal him and he died you see and so you know you need to say and i see why with people like you you understand huh the grim reapers hanging over him all the time (laughs) what you should have done was got him out of here and got him into an atmosphere of faith so the brother could live you know (laughs) but see just your response right there 
See, you've been taught the right way. See, you've been taught the truth of God's word. You can pick up that word and read it for yourself, understand it, and pray it and apply it. You can do all of those things with it. But the traditions of men, if they come in as doctrine, they will knock that out of the box. And then people who are sick and grabbing on to try to, to receive something from God or be encouraged that they can be healed or something like that, they're completely discouraged over and over and over again because of lack of knowledge. And so that false thing is always there and it's always active. There are other false elements in the church. There are, <clears throat> are places where they will preach the full gospel but you never see anything happen full gospel. Hmm? That's another form that denies the power. Because what generally happens is they will preach some in faith, but they never challenge themselves to produce the fruit. So if the leader never challenges himself to produce that and doesn't... uh, 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 allow himself to understand and to grow and to learn and all those things that are necessary for God to confirm that word, then things won't happen there even though they can, can pray for people, they can speak in tongues, they can even preach good sermons. But you'll find that the sermons tend to flow, this is what I've observed, the sermons will tend to flow more on the emotional, soulish level than they do the word faith level to your spirit. You got me? Because people who teach the word in faith basically don't care how you respond or if you respond. Now, sometimes, you know, they'll make comments. Oh, yeah, it's a nice Presbyterian church if they feel too much of a lull or something. But that's really just to say. That's not... Like we really want you to say something affirmative so we can keep going. You understand what I'm saying? When you're anointed, you just keep going because you have truth. And it has nothing to do with how, you know, what what the response is. But very often people who cannot produce the signs or, or can't get the confirmation of their preaching with signs will then begin to, to drift over into the emotional soulish realm and they'll get the rah-rah and the jump up and all that from the people and they jump up sick and come down sicker you got me and so that that word never (laughs) you know or you'll find half the church isn't even saved or half of them the ones that claim to be saved are still living a sinful life you know that that kind of stuff in the clubs on saturday come to church on sunday as, and these are full gospel, what we call full gospel people, you see. So we have to be careful as people of God that we understand how to navigate these waters. You know, you're, you're in the true gospel ship and you're navigating through waters where there are all kinds of distractions and snares and temptations and all of those things afoot. But you have to learn how to remain true to God and, and, you know, know how to stay with what God has given you. I don't care if you just know this much. If that's producing, if that's being confirmed, you stay with that. Don't you let go of it and don't you give it up. 
because that is the seed of what God needs in the earth. He wants what's real. He doesn't want this phony stuff. You know, he would like to have a church, like the Bible says, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. All of these untruths, lies, and traditions of men are spots and wrinkles, you know, in our garments of, of righteousness. And so <clears throat> in thinking about that, I was looking at the contrast. The Bible seems to always have this story of two women, one accepted, one rejected, one false, one true, one beloved, one manipulative, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it plays into this understanding that we have that there are two paths for the believer to go. You can go the, the route of religion, the form with no power, or you can go the path of righteousness where Jesus is Lord and God is in control and you're able to produce the impact and the fruit and all of that stuff that God would have you to produce because you remain true to him and what he has for you. So there were two <clears throat> two female situations that I found in the Bible. The first I had was Sarah and Hagar. And the other two are Rachel and Leah. And so these stories you need to understand because then they'll give, they'll give you understanding of how to to know what the real church is and how the real church operates versus the true church. Both women in both situations were married to one man. And so we see here a picture of a true and a false, maybe a legalistic and a grace church, maybe a faith church and a, a, a works church, that kind of thing. But there's this contrast always in the word between two women who stand in promise and stand to inherit and stand to have uh, uh, fruitful, productive, and a promiseful life here on the earth. So in Galatians chapter 4, if you'll turn, turn there, <clears throat> Galatians, you know, is, is the book that blasts the law out of the water and gets trying to get Christians to understand how to receive and minister in and flow in the grace of God in all things. It says here, Galatians 4 and 21, Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now, this is enacted in society so often it's pitiful to even not catch this. You understand what I'm saying? This is, you know... And all you got to do is go down any court and you'll see the dockets of paternity suit and baby mama stuff and all this kind of stuff. And so this is just a very common scenario that's being played out in blazing letters. Whenever God's word gets that obvious, that's a sign for us to pay attention. You got me? And realize what side we're supposed to be on and what side to stay off of, both in the natural and in the spirit. So <clears throat> he says, for it is written, verse 22, Abraham had two sons, one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. 
So the false bride will do works in the flesh perpetrating that it's God. Preaching is in the flesh, a lot of it. It's played to the emotional level. It's played to the rah-rah level. It's played to the level of uh, just, you know, entertaining people for the tithe and the offering. And you understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> people don't grow. You know, you can talk to these same people. Uh, you know, say, for instance, you meet them and you're both new Christians. And in that period of time, you've, you know, prayed for people. You've seen people get healed by your intercession. You've given out prayer cloths to people. You've seen that. People get, well, you get involved in the work, so to speak, you know. Uh, Say, for instance, if you were a a doctor, you'd have a practice. Hmm? Well, you do. Most Christians do. There's somebody, there's some name you got written on a prayer somewhere where you watch over that, you want to see that come to pass. It used to be we put names down and didn't check back, but now we're bold enough to check back with the people and make sure that they are healed. You got me? And so that's that's what I mean. You're involved in the work, the work of the ministry. And so <clears throat> when you when you're in the true, in the real, God confirms what you do with signs following. You have fruit and evidence that that prayer was heard, that there was faith on it. That person gets better. They get well. They get healed. Jackie, how's your dad doing? Where's Jackie? She back in the back? Yeah. Come here, honey. Your dad who thought he might have cancer or something like that. Just come on up and take the mic. Can get that off there for her at Miss Avis. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, just click that button on the bottom. And your dad, when he first had to go to the hospital, what was he? What did he tell you? What was he like? Um, he um, he was told that. Put it up there so we can hear, honey. He was told that his liver and his kidneys and his pancreas were all failing, and that he um, had kidney uh, he had cancer in his lower intestine and in his stomach, and they didn't know what was going on and what was wrong, and they didn't know how to fix it. And what did you do? I prayed and mm-hmm. I called Pastor Shirley, mm-hmm. and. I asked him if I could pray for him, and he said no, but I did what I knew to do, and I laid hands on his bed, and I hid prayer cloths in his house, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. How long ago was that, that they first told him that? Um, it was a few months, three or four, yeah. So what did they tell him now? They told him that he is going to live. He's going to live till he's an old grumpy man, and <laughs> and that um, the doctor actually told him he's like, I don't know if the test is wrong or it's a miracle. He's like, but nothing that was wrong with you is wrong with you anymore. Amen. Thank you. Praise God. 
I see that's what I mean when I say you have a practice. Yeah. You got people and they these people come to you oftentimes, more often than not, if they're not relatives or somehow you're made aware of this and you bring that before the Lord. And you do whatever the door is open to do. It's it definitely you intercede for these people. And and my thing is have faith in God. And if you believe you can have what you say, you can have what you say. And so I think this is the, the foundation of the true church. We have faith in God and we believe that our own words will come to pass. You got me? It's these words spoken out of your mouth. Uh, they will come to pass because you believe God's word and what he's told you. And so the true will always have that uh, about them. They're caring people. They don't just leave people and you know what I'm saying is, well, you pray for them or whatever. That's not a part of your how you roll. You know, that's just not it. Uh, compassion always understands that God wants a remedy. God wants a cure. And you, it is your responsibility then to put that person in the place where they can receive that. You got me? That's what intercessors do. <clears throat> so that's the real. That's the real. It says here, he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Was by promise. What God has given us is by promise. We have his word. We have his word sealed with an oath and a promise that he cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. And so we stand on that. That's what you stand on. I don't care what it is you want from God. You must stand on the fact that God has said it and he will not go back on his word. And no matter how long it takes or whatever it takes, he will bring it to pass. You don't bring nothing to pass. He brings it to pass. You got me? So you can trust in his faithfulness. He says, which these things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. So there's an old covenant, which we sometimes refer to as legalism. And then there is a new covenant that's by grace by faith through grace or by grace through faith. Amen. It's a faith covenant. But that is not to say there aren't works that accompany your faith. But the faith must come first. The faith is what generates the works and not the reverse. You got me? The faith generate the works. So there is a corresponding action to everybody's faith. And that is what is so difficult for uh, people sometimes to get in their heads because they want to see things happen immediately. And if they don't happen immediately, they want to know what they got to do to make it happen. Uh, we've all been there. Then when you run around and try a few things and nothing happens, you go somewhere and sit down and say, well, I guess I'll just wait on God to tell me what to do or wait till I come to my senses or go do something else that he wants me to do. And quit bugging him about this one thing. Amen. <laughs> and he says, the two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, which engenders to bondage, which is Hagar. For Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her own children. So he's talking about the Jews who were still in bondage to the law. 
but Jerusalem which is above is free. That's us folks. If you'll let yourself be. It is free. And is the mother of us all. So we are born the free people, the believers, the free church is born out of the heavenly Jerusalem, which is from above. It's not an earthly mountain. It's a heavenly mountain. So if for it is written, rejoice, thou that bearest not, break forth and cry. You that travail not, for the desolate hath many more children than that which is which has a husband. So he is talking about anything of the flesh has a limited amount that it can produce, but that which is a promise has unlimited amounts that it can produce. You got me? So the whole thing is to stay with the spiritual aspect of things, and, and you'll be free, you'll produce freely, you'll be able to uh, have the right relationship with God and bring the right things forth. But if you dare step back and get into legalism, you won't produce much. You'll get a little, little bit here and a little trickle there. Paul says it makes a little bit of sense if you want to worship with your will. You don't worship you with your will. You worship in spirit and in truth. Got me? We just had a conversation. Pastor Shirley and I had a conversation with someone who was into will worship. You know, she's talking about fasting and... You know, she saw the candy on the table and thought we were here going to scarf it up before Lent. I'm thinking, get real. Are you kidding me? But I just told her, I said, well, we we fast, you know, on command by obedience to God. She wanted to tell me all the things you fast from, from, you know, what did she say, gossiping. I said, well, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I look at it. But, hey, you know, if I slip, I repent. I mean, passing a Twinkie ain't going to get you into heaven. You understand what I'm saying? Not that there's anything wrong with it. (laughs) I'd like to pass up more of it, but I'm not trusting that to get me into heaven. That's just a thought. Hey, what? Whatever, whatever. We just didn't have time to go through the whole thing with her. I was just, I said, baby, I'm tired. I just had two pieces of fried chicken, and I ain't for all of this stuff, talking about what I shouldn't have ate already. (laughs) Take it down the hall. But anyway, (laughs) take it to the next room. I'm sorry. I ain't for this right now. Anywho. Where was I? Where was I? Okay. So the spirit then is the most productive aspect of us, folks. I don't care how many children you have in the natural. I mean, even if you mother dug her. Huh? A single woman working with God can outdo her any day of the week. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's much more birth by spiritual activity is what this is saying so working through faith and the promises of god avails a whole lot more than anything we could do through legalism through the flesh denying the flesh any of that stuff we we just have to stay away from that that aspect of life so the false bride you'll see in in scripture reproduces quickly and by the flesh And is not true to one spouse or one mate. 
Why is everybody so quiet? What y'all do? What did I say? Huh? <laughs> this is what it is. In the in the words, you'll see that, right? Yeah, right, right. It's, you know, they're not true to one mate. They just want to see. There's something with uh, barrenness and bearing it, and it bearing a reproach that women typically want to get out from under. And it's the same thing in the church. If if we have a church <clears throat> and we don't get to be like Joyce Meyer's ministry, then you can start feeling that, well, what's wrong with us? How come, look at what she's got, and she can do this, and she can that. Well, everybody in call would be Joyce Meyer. You got me? And, and But that being said, look at what fruit you do produce. You got me? Is there something that you're doing for God that has his stamp of approval on it, that has his, his, um, uh, he's working with that and you know that he's working with that? I'm so glad that Jackie's a part of this ministry that from a little kid she was, she grew up here and she knows what to do when her daddy's not well. You got me? See, these things, <clears throat> these things you can't, they're invaluable. Now, there are, there are people who have great ministries, but oftentimes they're the only one almost producing anything. They've got a lot of, lot of people sitting on the platform, on the stage, with a lot of titles and, and you know, reverends and pastor and all that behind their name. But very few of them are really producing where you can say that believers are producing fruit. See, we've long passed, or Shirley and I have long passed the point where we have to do all your praying for you. You got me? You know what to do. And you know how to do it. Whether you do it or not, it's between you and God. I'd strongly suggest you get with it, though. You understand what I'm saying? Let's not just sit around here and think about whether we like somebody and we're going to put them on the list or not. We've, we've gone beyond that already, folks. You got me? But <clears throat> if I'm called to equip believers, I have to stay true to being equipping believers. You got me? Now, there are some people who are called to teach believers how to obey God's word. And that's a very important part of it. But thank God we can assume obedience and when you step in disobedience god knows how to correct you and bring you back into obedience you see and so that shortens the work for us to a degree i'd get very frustrated telling people it's not about you over and over and over again now to me that's real boring because listen we had this conversation three years ago and annie is on her deathbed what you gonna do for annie you got me See, this is the way I see it, and I think you can cut past all of that nonsense and shenanigans and just get you focused on doing the work of the ministry. Huh? You know, I know you, you've got pains, you've got aches, you've got problems, somebody left you, somebody came back, somebody left again, somebody, you know, understand? That's life. But in the meantime, what you going to do for God? Huh? Amen. Maybe if you cut that nonsense out and start doing something for somebody else who doesn't have what you have. See? You've been given a lot. 
Sometimes people just refuse to use it, put it into employ. But see, equippers know how to pull you up into using what you have. See, Even if you don't use it right all the time. I don't care if you mess up some. Just, you know, let's talk about it, get it straightened out, and don't be a professional mess up. If you want to do it professionally, don't mention you know me. <laughs> That's okay. You can be on the used to be list. <laughs> huh? So so then this this um, false thing wants big numbers real fast doesn't care what they do to get it. It's just reproachful not to have, not to be the next so-and-so. You got me. And not to be linked in with them. And then you've got a, <clears throat> a um, kind of like a group of ministers and ministries where you have to be a certain size to even be recognized and be included in, in what they do. You understand what I'm saying? That's all false. God cares nothing about your numbers huh people have killed themselves trying to have the biggest the greatest the most it's always quantity and not quality and see what they have oftentimes and they they can't get people saved fast enough so they water down the message they have what they call the seeker friendly church which really is not seeker it's sinner because they don't know what those people are seeking huh because if they were seeking they'd find the bible's clear about that if you seek me with all your heart you'll find me god is making himself found the people it ain't that hard so you don't have to have week after week after week after week of seeker-friendly. They should have sought and found something by now. They ought to be a couple of visits. They ought to all be saved. Huh? Or get up on out of here. If y'all don't want Jesus, leave. You understand what I'm saying? Because we're about, I mean, I don't care if it's just me and the wallpaper. We both want Jesus. We can work here. But if you don't want him, go out there and play in the mud until you want him. You can always come back. We'll be here. Huh? Doing the same old, same old. Huh? But if you really are seeking, I mean, come on, how many visits does it take to find him? Amen. So then the false bride likes to have, she is self-motivated. Her motivation is reputation. To get away from reproach. To, she can't stand reproach. And she's very ambitious and wants to be the whatever. We have the in front of her title. We have a culture of false things. And most of them are related to marriage. We have false marriages. We have false families. We have same-sex marriages. 
we have people who live together and choose not to get married without a marriage covenant. If there's no covenant, there's no stability, but these people don't care because they're all about appearances. All about taking away the reproach, all about looking what they call normal, looking like a family. Or they say, well, we can redefine the family. You don't define the family. Oh, a family has been redefined. A family is anybody. Mm-hmm. And they just make up. See? They're so desperate for anything that looks like something that they'll make it up and say they like it. But it doesn't fulfill them. See, it's not satisfying at all. It's not fulfilling to people. Amen. <clears throat> and that's that's where the big lie is. That's where the big lie is. So, <clears throat> Sarah and Hagar, we know the story there. Sarah was the promised promised mother of Israel because she was married to Abram when they were. Sarai or Sarai and Abram, and they were pagans. Whatever you come into as, God expects you to stay that way. The Bible says that. If you're, if you're loosed from a husband or a wife, seek not to be bound. And if you're bound, seek not to be loosed. God wants you to remain the way you are when you come into covenant with him. Amen? So I think it's totally wrong for people who are, you know, if you've been divorced from somebody or they left you or something like that, and you think that's licensed to just go play the field in God's house. Got me? There are atmospheres that encourage that. These worldly churches will let anybody in, and these people have no concept of faithfulness. They have no concept of God. They have no concept of a vow or any kind of a promise, anything like that. They just think they're, this is more of the world. And they've never, really never taught much different than that. Because that worldly spirit that's in the church is concerned about the same thing they're concerned about. It's, it's bigger, better, greater, more money. Get me a, a limousine. I can't ride this old car I've been riding. You know, I'm your pastor and y'all ought to love me more than that. All that kind of nonsense. You know what I'm talking about. And so when people are, are under that kind of a spirit, they're not going to welcome a message like, you know, did you ever pray that God might want you to reconcile with old Bubba? Huh? That he might be the one that got away and God wants him in his house. He wants him saved. He wants, you know, all this kind of stuff. They run you out of town you start talking about getting along with somebody. Huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we have to realize that there is a volume of false doctrine, false atmosphere, false fruit. You know, uh, if you if you were to have I, I wish we could have a, a, a Holy Ghost detector. Or something like that. Or you know, the Bible says that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. I wish we had a seal detector, a wand you could wave over people in the congregation and find out. I said, I knew you wouldn't say. You get your butt on up out of here. You understand what's that? We cleaning house today. Can we do that? And the fish that's caught, we let them get skinned and cleaned, and y'all go back out and swim another day. You know. 
And so it's one of those things where now we've gotten to the point where we don't even know how to judge anymore the false from the true. Until we get into these little pockets of believers that really pray and really get results and really lay hands on the sick and really believe God for miracles and really do these things until we get to those. So out of all of this that's out here, number-wise and, and uh, TV-wise and all those different things, you still have to be discerning enough to see who's really got the goods and who's producing the fruit for God. See? Now, you might find maybe a small pocket of people in a large congregation, you know, maybe 50 or so, that are really serious about God. But pretty soon they get devoured by the ones who aren't. They get so discouraged. Because And then what happens is if God opens a door for them to go somewhere where they can be free and swim with people who are like them, they don't like that because then that reproach hits them again. See, I'm a member of, of this, this place and that place. It's the biggest place, and I can't lower myself and go, and go somewhere just to learn. i got to have the reputation. How can I face that I'm not a part of that anymore? And so this false thing <clears throat> is something... It's geared mostly toward reputation and mostly toward just producing, reproducing numbers, not promise, but just of the flesh. When you want to produce based on promise, you'll have to wait on the leading of God. And that's what the false bride doesn't like. She doesn't want to wait on the leading of God. I was talking to Pastor Shirley one day, and I said, you know, back in the day, it's like 40, 50 years ago, I said, women had too much dignity to go chase after a man. You know, you chase what? Are you kidding me? Hmm? And that was like God. Hmm? The man who he got to go looking first before he can find something, huh? You know, women nowadays, you know, a man is walking by and they like. All on the first date. Huh? All on the first date. That's just so undignified to me. It's just like, jeez, give yourself some credit. But see, that's a false thing. She's not willing to wait. She's not even willing to wait for you to make up your mind. <laughs> She's not. Oh, got you all on speed dial and got a mama calling you and a sister calling you and the little cute little nephews and nieces calling you all the time. And, you know, it's like an attack, man. It's like, whoa. 
And the poor man, if he's insecure, he's, you know, you forget it, buddy. You're sunk. <laughs> if you just like flattery a little too much or you like attention a little, you, you're sunk. Huh? You're sunk. Back in our day, men were scared of women that were too available. They say, what you want? <clears throat> oh, two people applaud. Let's see, I'm on the right track now. <laughs> if you like some of these brothers, and see, brothers thought what they had was just as valuable as the women thought. You know, we valued ourselves and one another a whole lot more. I didn't want to be try to be married to somebody I had to chase. Now, after we married, it's fair game. I mean, I don't... Turn them pockets inside of what you got for the girl. You understand what I'm saying? But, you know, as single people, you know, you don't reveal yourself and uncover yourself to everybody. You just don't do it. You value yourselves. You value yourself and one another much more than that. Then there's God. You know, you've got to value God and what he has ordained for your life and that other person's life. Suppose after all the, the hype in the flesh is, is removed, you find out you really don't like, love, or respect one another. Huh? When all that's blown over, you look at that person, they look at you, and they say, what on earth did we think we, you understand what I'm saying? See, that's what people will do to escape reproach. Don't do anything. Seven men were called, seven women called to one man. Let's please give me your name. Please, please, please. Huh? Nowadays, you don't even have to. I didn't really realize this until a few years ago, but you know, you can give your baby any kind of name you want to call him. You know, uh, you can even call him by the, the daddy's last name, and you ain't married, and daddy don't know nothing about him. Huh? Yeah, you can give him any name you want to. Oh, you didn't know that? Bet you're going to pray now, won't you? This is Kwame Infume. I don't know where I got that name from, but I like Infume. And see, Brother Infume over there dated with you one time. Now he nervous. See what I'm talking about? Anything to take away the reproach. That's where the church is, folks. It just took all these people out of the world, put them over into the church. And now people look at you. If, if you Listen, if I'm preaching to a lot of hoes and ho-mongers, I'm going to say that. But see, they look at you like something wrong with you. Oh, she low class. She used language like that. Well, they come in here. If I say saints, they ain't going to know who I'm talking about. Y'all give me a break, man. I mean, it's tough when you're trying to really... Zoom people in on God and the richness of relationship with him and they got all this stuff hanging on them. Man, come on now. Get a preacher a break. But see, seeker friendly. Seeker friendly has done that. See? It's made the fornicator just as comfortable sitting next to the saint 
And the whoremonger just as comfortable sitting next to the faithful dad, all that kind of stuff, made people comfortable. So the true bride is understands what loyalty is. She's committed. See? She's committed. She's loyal. She wants to serve. <clears throat> Typical is Mary, the father of our Lord, a mother of our Lord. Sorry. She called herself the handmaiden of the Lord. Even though she was highly exalted by being chosen as the earthly mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, she referred to herself as the handmaiden of the Lord. The Bible says Sarah called Abraham Lord. Huh? In other words, she respected him as the decision maker, the head of the household, the one that called the shots, decided where we live, when we live, when the kids are born, how many we have, can we afford them, where we take them to school, all those things. You got me? And didn't need a nudge to do it. You got me? She has patience with the bridegroom. In Hebrew culture, if a couple were engaged or betrothed to be married, like Mary and Joseph were, Mary was really in a testing time, a waiting period, a holding pattern, testing her commitment to Joseph. They had already spoken vows. See, when in, in Hebrew culture, an engagement is as good as a marriage except there's a waiting period in there. There's a testing period in there. There's a period where if the bride has been found to have slept with another man, it could be all called off. And it was up to the bridegroom to determine when the marriage took place. And Hebrew young men weren't eager. You know, they were eager to a point. You got me? Because they had a chaperone that kept you from being eager. Like we have the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is patience, self-control, where you can wait patiently for the bridegroom to announce what you're going to do. You don't go out and create a false ministry. Because somebody gave you a prophecy and it swelled your head up instead of your heart. Now all of a sudden you're ready to blow up. And you will. And fizzle back down. Because God wants handmaidens and men servants. He doesn't want stars. You got me? That stuff is for the world. And so many times we get discouraged in God because we feel like we ain't big enough. 
And we're not important enough and we're not popular enough. All those things. Now we've had people come into the ministry and they were doing fine. And all of a sudden, well, God called me to do so and so and such and such. And and, uh, I thought I could do it here, but I see you're not going to let anybody do anything. And I said, well, do you pray your prayers? Well, yeah, but you know. No, I don't know. What else do you want to do? Huh? If you could preach, God would tell me. Listen, I know what everybody's preaching level is in here at all times. You got me? It would be no, it would be a vast surprise to me to know somebody was, cause I'd say, where are you when my feet hurt? Things that differentiate the false from the true bride. The true bride is is dignified, patient, is looking for the excellence that God, she knows God can produce. There were some years when when my husband was alive and we were married, and there were some times where I felt like, there were things that we wanted, you know, material things. And I felt like, well, gee, if I just went and worked some more and, you know, did this, did that, we could have it faster. And God corrected me on faster, you know. He said, yeah, you could do that. You could do a lot of things in the natural and get them faster. He said, but what would be the effect of faster on, and he named a few things to me. So we got to weigh the effect that faster has on different things that God is looking for that he thinks are important. Like family harmony. What, what effect does my working more and getting things faster have on family harmony? And, and Pastor Shirley can tell you. My husband needed three wives. He, he had two. Cause he, he'd call her up and tell her to do stuff like, you understand? It was Shirley, where are you at? And she had kids, you know. He took that into consideration a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying. But he was extremely high maintenance. So getting enough, that would have made me triple Jamaican. I'd have four job man. Uh, with him, he's three already. So there are some things that faster and more in a material sense will not, the, the drawback would be too great, see. The sacrifice would be too great, and there would be an upset in the harmony of the situation. Now, I know women that say, wow, you mean to tell me that you, got, you have to do, I didn't say I had to do nothing. Huh? I don't say I had to do nothing. You got me? But wisdom will tell you what's wise to do. The wise woman builds her house. The foolish one tears it down, you know, with her own hands. <laughs> and so there were certain things that just were not wise for me to do considering all, you know. 
And then the other thing was when when God called me to preach, that became my job all the time, you see. And I had to budget my time in a different way. So it's not always getting where you need to go in a hurry that's important. It's not always quantity, but it's quality, it's harmony, it's dignity, it's results, it's quality of fruit. What kind of fruit are you bringing forth? Is your fruit remaining? Can you claim that fruit from generation to generation or are you you just shooting it out there? And if anybody picks it up, fine. If they don't, that's fine, too. You got me. And so these are the things that the real the, the true church has to consider. It has to consider. Now, over the years, we see pockets of evidence of the true church emerging. But we see nothing like the book of Acts with the believers going forth working and and preaching the gospel and God working with them and confirming their words with signs following. You don't see that. And so that's what God really wants. He wants a church, number one, that's holy and committed to him. But number two, a church where everybody knows what part of the body they are and they know how to function in that part. See, They know how to function there. And that's very important. It's important for you as a believer, if you're single, it's important for you to understand where you're going in God, how you're going to get there, and who's going to go there with you if anybody's going with you. You got me? It's very important. It's very important that each individual fulfill what God has gifted them in this earth to fulfill. You don't want to see people that had a purpose in God and couldn't fulfill it because. You got me? And so that that person needs to understand that there are going to be certain distractions that will come their way as they step out to fulfill the call of God. And then people around them have to understand and respect the gift, the call, support it, encourage it, and encourage them in doing the will of God. And not so much what you want out of that person. See, handmaidens, men servants, don't consider what they want from somebody. They consider what God wants from that person. And they seek to support it and encourage it and undergird it and are happy to see it go forth. You find somebody who doesn't care if you serve God. They're not serving God themselves, and there'll be thorns in your eyes, and there'll be a, an anchor around your neck. See, because every time you get ready to get, you come to your senses one day and realize I've wasted 10 years with this person, and I haven't done anything close to what God called me to do. You understand? And then it's hard to shake off all of that. Huh? Now, I'm just being real with y'all. You got to understand this because God will knock on that door of that person's heart one day with an offer they can't refuse. And if you haven't positioned yourself to support, encourage, undergird, and be happy to see that come forth, you're going to be a miserable person. They're going to be miserable. And somebody's going to miss what God had for them totally because they don't know how to get back to where God wanted them to be. And see, if you're already married, you got a family with them, you got, oh, every other thought is, oh, they're going to leave me and upset the family, and then where's my ministry going to be? Uh, blah, 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 blah. 
I hear that from people all the time. Well, I thought God wanted me to get married now, and now I see that I shouldn't have done it so quick. And, you know, I want to go forth in God. Well, go. We're stopping you. In fact, I will encourage you and pray for you, brother. Run on. But see, they never get the run because their feet are mired in mud, because they're anchored to somebody. And they've never talked to that person in a spiritual way. They've never assessed them spiritually. In fact, spiritual had nothing to do with that whole relationship. So now that you all of a sudden now you want to go forth and, and, and serve God with your whole heart and believe God, now you're stuck. And that person don't move too easily. Huh? They don't. And so you've got to risk not having peace for a season, you got to risk all of those things that you've always been afraid of risking. Now you finally got to do it if you're going to obey God. And see, that was facing you 10 years ago. That's why you married that person. Because you thought you could put God off forever. Now run off in the flesh and have fun. See, but fun's caught up with you now. And so you can waste a lot of time, folks, pursuing fleshly pursuits Fearing that God's going to require too much of you. People are always afraid. If I believe God for a husband or wife, it's going to take too long. Well, go out there and jump in the soup with somebody and see what you feel about that. See, that's long, too. That's uh, <laughs> even longer. And then you come right back to square one again where you really should have prayed. Asked God, toughed it out. Broke it off. Say, God, if this person is for me, you bring them back to me or whatever you do between you and God to get it straightened out. But you've got to do that tough thing. You can't have your flesh massaged all the way into the kingdom. Got me? This is not a flesh massage place. I can't tell you the times my husband would be angry at me because I prayed too long on the phone. right? And I would say, God, I'd be really glad when you save him. Because I'm about sick of this. Every time I move and breathe and say your name, he's all upset about it. huh? But I found that that's part of salvation and conversion. That people are either hot or cold. If they're lukewarm, God won't have anything to do with them, and you shouldn't either. You understand what I'm saying? The lukewarm people are your biggest enemy. Because you can be boiling in, in dead with a lukewarm person before you even know you the water's gotten hot. Yeah. Huh? Because they're dampening your spirit and keep you behind and keep you back. Yeah. But see, when you're married, it's different. Marriage is a covenant. God has a date assigned for when that person will get saved because he guarantees you they'll be saved. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So you work within that assurance. Yeah. Of their their soon salvation or their coming salvation or their one day salvation, whatever it is, you're working in an assurance and you're not working in a maybe. If you're not married, you're working in a maybe. There's no guarantee that person's going to come over to God's side. No guarantee. You know, people who have issues with people in the church. Run off and find somebody in the world. Oh, well, they're nicer than church people. You liar. You're triple deceived. 
Number one, you don't come to church for people. You come to church for God. When you get your head on straight and really start coming for God, you'll find that people aren't quite as important as you thought they were. What they say is not a make or break. Well, if they say something to me, I ain't coming back no more. Hmm? Well, you just miss God. You're not coming for people. You're coming for God. Got me? They'll get involved with people through deception. Number one, the devil's deceived them into thinking that the world is kinder than the church. Now, I've heard that from people, and, and most of them are backslid at the time, and if not, shortly after they backslide. You got me? Once you start looking favorably upon the world and unfavorably at the church, you're already in trouble. You're in deep trouble already. Same thing with your natural family. You know, some people, you know, they're hell on wheels at home. When they get around strangers somewhere, they're just as nice to them. And you wonder if that's the same person. Huh? And so we have to realize the deception of the devil is to call what's good evil and what's evil good. See? And if we don't learn how to discern and stay with the truth of God's word, that's all you have to do. Huh? Oh, God, I don't care how much the saints cut up and mess up and lie and backbite, all that kind of stuff. I'd much rather be with a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell with the wicked. I just say I don't have no kind of holler for them people out there except to tell them about you. Got me? You don't get chummy with the world. You don't get friendly with the world. You don't get comfortable with the world. That's not your home anymore. So all of these things you'll find in the false church, there's this comfort with the world. Look like the world. Well, you know, we don't want to turn uh, sinners off. I do. (laughs) Off and on. Yeah. You turn them off for the way that they are now and turn them on to God. Well, you know, we can't look too, uh, too, uh, uh, whatever. Who cares what you look like? What do you carry on the inside of you? What kind of message do you carry on the inside of you? See, the true church is much more concerned with the inner than she is the outer. You got me? Much more concerned. She's more concerned with the promise than she is with the the quick response. Much more concerned. The promise is much more important to the true church. In fact, you know, women can tell you, some of them, they live for the 25th anniversary. You know, now what, what makes you hold in all them years waiting for that one year, I don't know, but I did it. You know? 25 years. Huh? That's when you're supposed to be able to get the biggie. Big ring, big diamond, you know, that kind of thing. They're rewards for longevity. And so the promise, the promise of something that you'll get years down the road becomes your joy in the now. You got me? You have joy in the now based on the promise that you will have down the road. 
Look at all the people in Hebrews chapter 11 that long to see the day that we live in. And many times we play it cheap. But they died in faith. They died believing God. And some of them never saw close to anything. Like most of them saw nothing but destruction and bondage and judgment. But they believed that there was a good God somewhere. And that at some point Messiah would come and deliver the people from the tyranny of their sins. You understand what I'm saying? And so the promise then becomes very, very valuable to the church that walks in the spirit. See, the true church walks in the spirit and obeys God no matter what we see or don't see. Don't need to see anything. Don't have a reproach to try and live down. We have the joy of the Lord in our everyday dealings with people. And we're just glad to serve God. And we'll live off of the promises no matter how long it takes to bring them through. A false bride wants to give it a time limit. Well, you know, I've been with him for, for three years now, and we still doing so and so and such and so, and you will be doing that. If that's all you married somebody for was a three-year stretch. Huh? You sick of your husband, your wife in three years? What happened? What were you looking for? When you stood there and promised till death do you part, did you just lie or you did you really mean that? See? Yes. See, the true church and the true bride, her word means something to her. Yes. The Amen. vow is very, very important. Yes. The vow is very important. Yes. The fact that God has sealed everything he's given us with an oath and a promise is very, very important to us. Yes. That's everything right there. The fact that somebody would care enough to promise something and to promise it in an everlasting fashion and we can't sin our way out of the promise. It will always be there if we'll repent and come back to him. That's worth everything. Most people who are disappointed in marriages are disappointed because that brother would rather die than tell you he's going to do something for you for real. Huh? If he would just say. Isn't that the truth? Many times you don't have to see a whole lot. You just want him to say it. Huh? So so to the, the, the faith bride and the true bride, the promise is everything. And when the man can back it up with his integrity in it, and you can know he'll do it. See, I thank God I got saved because some of that stuff I was expecting that brother to do, I knew he never could do it if God wasn't in the picture. And he'd have had a hard time restraining me after 25 years and he didn't have, well, go give me nothing. Are you kidding me? I'm serious. But see, thank God, God was in the picture. And God could help bring it to pass. So brother man could get off the hot seat for the goods. See, most women don't really need a whole lot of stuff. We live off of what we consider to be love, which is somebody's word to us. And keeping their word to us. And making the promise to us. 
And you can live off of confidence in a promise for years and years and years and never have to really see anything. Whereas a false bride, she can clean you out in six months. Huh? And you down in court and we got a paternity suit already. She don't have time for no long relationships. Huh? It's just true. It's true. And so the, the church then is a church that has patience. Waiting for the harvest. Patience with the master. Patience with the bridegroom. Until he sounds that trumpet and lets her know that the wedding feast is about to start. See, there's always a feasting day for the true bride. And she knows it's coming. Based on the integrity of the man that she's committed to. And so we're committed to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We know he'll come for his word. We know he'll do what he says he's going to do. Why? He's already proven to us the ultimate. He's died for us already. So we don't need any more proof. We can just go on that faith already. That what he says he's going to do, he will do. And so that's how we live. We live in obedience to God every day. Rejoicing. In that God has made us great and precious promises. By these promises we become partakers of his divine nature. And then we're able then to walk with him hand in hand through life. Not ashamed. Not afraid. Nothing. We just walk hand in hand with him through life. And that's a great thing. It's a good thing not to be ashamed of somebody you're married to. It's a good thing not to be afraid of them, not, you know, to respect them and not have to manipulate them and all of those things so that you can feel like you're important. God has already built us up into a great spiritual house. He's given us everything. And if we need more, all we have to do is ask him for more and he'll give us more. So the true church has total confidence in God that whatever we need, he supplies it for us. So really you can say the true church is more interested in relationship with him than we are with anything else. Hmm? The day to day, what we share in conversation, what we share in the secret place, what we share in worship. Getting involved with God in, in, in the dance. Letting him lead and making sure that we stay step with step in him. That's what the work of God is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be like a holy dance. It doesn't have to be, you know, sweat and strain and hard and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, put the candy away because it's lint. You know, it can be a joyful experience. A false bride is very, very concerned about things, appearance. What does it look like? Will it take away my reproach? Rachel and Leah were sisters. And they were actually, uh, Jacob had asked for Rachel's hand in marriage. And he was working for her father Laban. To show you the value that a true groom should have for the bride, Laban told Jacob that he could marry Rachel, 
But he had to work seven years for her. And you know what Jacob said after seven years? He said it was like a day. See? All that sacrifice and labor and work he did to earn her was nothing to him. Because of his great love for her. And so... If you can believe it, that's the way the Lord Jesus Christ feels about us. When he sees us adorned in his glory and living for him, worshiping him, admiring him, and nothing, wanting nothing more than to have relationship with him. That's the way he feels. That we were the joy that was set before him when he hung on the cross. Caused him to endure that. Despising the shame but still enduring it. Hmm? To have that kind of conflict on the inside of you. Know that what you're going through is worth it, but yet parts of it you despise. But he did it anyway for us so that he could redeem us and bring us back to the dignity that he knew we were created to wear in the earth. Amen? Which is his glory. So we are his crown. And we are able to represent God in every way down here on earth. We just have to believe that and start living it. Just start living it and acting like who we are and the bride that we are down here in the earth. Jacob, of course, was tricked into marrying Leah, who is Rachel's older sister. So you see a lot of what he sowed in his early life comes back to haunt him. He was the one that convinced his brother Esau to sell his birthright for a morsel of food. And now he's being um, tempted and, and tried in every single way. And he's unable to break free of that. So he takes on Leah as a wife. So now he's got two wives. Thanks, Chuck. I appreciate it. But how does he feel about them? Well, one is despised and the other one's loved. And you say, how can God feel that way? Well, he despises sin. He despises the world. He despises religion. Jesus proved that when he walked the earth. But he loves the brethren. He loves the bride. He loves those who are sincere about him and serving him. And so we have this conflict again of this competition in God's house for God's affection, God's attention, God's resources, God's people. You know, there's all this conflict all the time. And you'll find the false bride again wants to increase her numbers to take away her reproach. She wants to feed people something that's easy for them to swallow. So they'll keep coming back for more and more and more. And so we have the world sitting right inside of the church, feeding the church the same thing that the world eats, but in little doses. You know, it's so small you could barely notice it sometimes. But little by little, the world begins to grow up on the inside of the church, and there we have birthed something false. And so we see Rachel and Leah being competitive for Jacob's affection and Jacob's love. And we see that down the line... Leah has more children initially than Rachel has. And so finally, Rachel bears a son 
in, let me see, where is it? Genesis chapter 30. There's this between these two sisters initiated by their father. And you think, why would God do that? Well, he has his reasons because religion is going to grow up anyway. But he is sworn that he will have a pure people in the earth. He will have a holy people in the earth. And so he knows how to develop a holy people out of this mess. And so Rachel has given one of her maids to, to her husband to bear children. She's gotten competitive as well. Gets involved in the true church. The true church has to repent and go back to her roots and understand that she's a, a handmaiden and a servant. And it says in, in Genesis 30, verse 22, and it says, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. God's the only one who could take it away. So there will come a time where the church that was reproached for a season will be glorified. And I think we're coming into that season with people who really have stood for God, held on to God, held on to the true gospel, and have not taken the false way. And she said she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And so Joseph, you know, eventually winds up in Egypt and he is responsible for feeding the whole world, the whole known world. Now, you can understand in hindsight why Rachel had no children for all those first years. Because she had to have a child in a certain time, for a certain reason, for a certain purpose. And that's why God withheld her from giving birth. There are many, many people who are servants of God that have been doing the best they can, but kind of living marginally, you know, as far as resources and finances and doors that open and and all the things we see thrown at certain types of ministries, they never get any of it. But God's flipping that around. Because everybody who's a true servant of God has a time, a day, and a season where they'll come forth and they'll be everything that God's promised them. Even if it's just for a brief period of time. Rachel lived a very short time after Joseph's birth. She had another son, Benjamin, and you know she died in childbirth. So the true bride is content to be, so to speak, in the spotlight, but before twinkling of an eye. She doesn't have to hog up all the attention or be number one all the time. She can be a servant of God and be trusted and be satisfied serving and not so much want all of this stuff. Because she's already died to it. Just like Sarah, she died to the fear of reproach. By the time she had Isaac, she thought it was a joke, and so did her husband. You got me? They were so old. And so God has a way of killing that fleshly thing off of the true church and getting it down to where we're really who we're supposed to be, the purified church. 
so that we can sustain all the onslaught of the enemy that comes against us and it doesn't bother us anymore. We're not moved by any of these things that move the the false church or the fleshly church or the carnal church. So we're able then to really stand for God. We're able to have stability in what we're preaching and teaching. We're able to impact people with our message and so forth and so on. And we're able to leave a true deposit of God's glory in the earth. That's really what he wants. He wants people to know the truth about who he is and how he deals with people. And he has to have a bride who will be faithful through better and worse, so to speak, as far as our life with God is concerned. If we can only be with God through the better, we're a sad bride for sure. Sad. Because God is God. And he's a good God all the time. And if we only expect good from him and we can't have bad times and hard times. There's some people that, you know, once they're married a lot of years, they're thankful for having come through very difficult times. And even sometimes they'll look back and say, you know, we were just starting out. We didn't have much. We seem to be so happy. Now we've got stuff and things are complicated. And so sometimes the difficulties, the trials and the stresses that God brings us through leaves the biggest impression on us of God's work in our lives. But I'll tell you, there are some people that don't even know any trial in God because they're so accustomed to dealing with things in the flesh. They've never had a a difficult time that they had to trust him to bring them through. But when they have them, they just about flip out, you know. I remember Dottie Rambo's testimony. She had been to so many different ministers trying to get God to heal her. She wound up either falling or something, but she had some back injury that she suffered with for many years. And she was saying that every time she would go to one of the well-known ministers for prayer, they would say, well, you just have to use your faith, Dottie. And she said, I went home one night and I asked Buck, she was married to Buck Rambo at the time, she said, I asked him, I said, Buck, what is this faith stuff people keep talking about? Now this is a woman that's written so many songs for God, it's pathetic. She said, and he was explaining to me what people were meaning, and she said, well, we never had to live by faith, we just bought everything we needed up until that time. So her time came where she had to learn how to trust God, get in his word, and get answers and get her healing all in one shot. And she said, I laughed at first. She said, but then I thought, well, this is serious. I better take this seriously. She said, but we never lived by faith before. We lived by gift. See, They pushed the gift and what the gift brought through. That's how they lived. And so even people like that will have their day having to stretch out and live by faith. There's be some things your gift won't be able to get you from God. And so, amen. And so this is the thing that we have to be careful about. This is why when people come to the ministry and they don't want to submit to what we teach here and what we do here, I just kind of politely let them do what they want to do until they get tired of it and leave. Because we don't have anything else to offer them. We can't, we don't push people by gift. You know, you're not pushed because of, of what you think you have in God. You're allowed to grow. 
you're allowed to mature. You're allowed to produce fruit just like everybody else. We're all expected to produce for God. And so that's the true church. And, and trust me, we suffer a lot for that. You know, there are people that don't like that. They don't like the fact that, uh, you know, on Saturdays once a month we're gone all day long. Well, I want to drive. We know what that means. That means you want to leave early. You got me? And so you have to just understand these things. that They won't be the quality that God wants them to be if they don't learn how to submit to the routine. See? You just have to, some things you have to do. And so it's, it's a good thing to understand, folks, that when you commit to God, he's looking at that. He's wanting you to produce on that. He's wanting you to be faithful to that commitment. He takes it seriously. He really does. I don't care what you might be distracted by where you what you see on television or what you think churches are supposed to be like or anything like that. You know for yourself if what you have in God is real. And you know for yourself if it's if it's helped your life, it's kept you healthy, it's kept you sane, it's kept you serving God, it's kept you saved, then you know what you have is real. And you know that if it will if you can impart it to other people and it can help them, you know that's real. That's the only thing you have to go on is what you know is real. And you can't be moved by all these other things, these facades and, and what other people are saying is important and, you know, who rented what dome and how many people they had in the dome and all. It, you can't be moved by all of that. But you can only be moved by what you know about God. Is it real? Has he kept you the way he said he was going to keep you? Has he done all the things he said he was going to? Or do you have confidence that if they, you haven't seen them yet that you one day will see them? These are the real things. This is what makes your relationship with God worth working on and and worth making every sacrifice you can to make sure that relationship gets better. It's it's worth it, folks. It really is. So that you won't wind up in something false. Look at all the the <clears throat> different ministers ministries that you used to see on television you don't see anymore. Look at the ones that used to be great that are selling uh, supplements now. You got me? Look at how this thing has turned and that you can barely see anymore a good healing ministry that doesn't have a lot of controversy hanging on it. Or a good you know, evangelical ministry that doesn't have a lot of nonsense going on in it. You, you can't see those things very well because the world has encroached upon the church in such a way that it's very hard to sort through all of that stuff without giving in to some of it, you know. But I believe that God has people all over that are sincere about him, that are pure, that really want the real thing and are willing to do whatever he asks them to do to make sure that continues. And so that's what you have to decide. You have to decide where you're at. You want the real thing in God. You want to continue what God has started you on. Do you have confidence that this is really what God's called you to do and that you want to do more of it? You want to be more useful to him. That you want to be able to produce fruit that remains. This is all that's important, folks. This other stuff is just, you know, it's just not important at all. It really isn't. Whether your name is known on television, whether you get on television, whether you're on how many Facebook likes do you have and all that kind of stuff, you know. And sometimes I want to just go through everybody's and push a don't like or something. 
Say, why don't you quit? <laughs> Stop this, you know. Or quit lying. You know, all them people don't like that. I don't like it. You know what I'm saying? And so you can get caught up in things very, very quickly uh, in a competitive fashion, you know, taking away that reproach. But but don't go there because what God has is, is got the pure bride headed into, uh, the world hasn't seen it before and won't see it, you know, for a long time because it's locked up in the church. And, and when the church really understands her mandate, who she is and what she is slated for, and, and confidently goes through it, you know, just step through those doors that God has for you, then we're going to see something miraculous, more than miraculous. The gifts of the Spirit will be uh, just an everyday common thing for us, the way it was in the early church and more. And I believe we're headed toward it because I believe God's Word. And He said it, and I believe it, and amen, and so be it. Amen? Praise God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for blessing us to know what we are. We're true. We're not false. We're true. We're not false. And we thank you, Father, that we pursue what's true. We thank you, Lord, that our sins are forgiven, that we are washed in your blood, and that we continually receive that cleansing through the water of your word and by the precious Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for keeping us in a place of holiness, a place of righteousness, a place of dignity in this earth, Because we can be who you want us to be, and that is the glorified church, the glorious church, the one that you've come for, the one that you'll return for. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we put on some music? I understand that there are some people who are still a little bit under the weather um, because of this flu, which is not for you. The flu is not for you. So, <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll pray for you as well. So if you want to do that, and I'll pray a little bit and see if God wants to do something else. Thank you, Jesus. Kuratashia handaya sikiriandaria. Kuratashia handaya sikiriandaria. Kuratashia handaya sikiriandaria. Kuratashia handaya Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If anybody wants to come up for prayer, why don't you come up for prayer? It doesn't seem that there's anything specific God wants me to minister. Praise God.